Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hey, that was pretty heartbreaking. Raptors Reaction Podcast. Host, Samson Folk, live from Blake Murphy's living room, petting his cat named Brody. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. I'm here to detail for you the Raptors' loss, and a heartbreaking one in heartbreaking fashion. 110-109 to the Oklahoma City Thunder, milliseconds away from some sort of destiny uh, entrance into the NBA. Of course, he's played minutes prior to this, but Justin Champagny comes into the Raptors game, plays the whole fourth quarter. He plays 12 minutes on the game. He just plays the fourth frame. Nick Nurse saying afterwards that nobody else had any energy. They weren't bringing it. So he went with Justin. Justin comes out as a primary defender on Shea Gilgis-Alexander, one of the toughest covers in the league, without a doubt. If you argue that against me, I will just... I, that's not a conversation me. He's impossible to guard. And Justin Champagny does a fantastic job by himself. Of course not. But with the help of his teammates, who are now, you know, have a little bit more energy, now since they don't have to always cover for Shea Gilgis-Alexander getting into the middle of the paint, drawing in four or five defenders on any given play, making passes from there, they get to rest on every other defensive possession because Champagne is actually stonewalling him a little bit. And the Raptors hold Shea Gilgis-Alexander to two points in the fourth quarter, zero made field goals, and Justin Champagne has an incredible catch. Like, it just he, he's making that baseline cut into the dunker spot, reaches way behind his back to catch a little lay-down pass, goes up, huge contact layup, incredible finish. And then the next play... Fred isos out. He does his thing. And mind you, actually, I'll, the play before that, that put the Raptors up, I believe, 109 to uh, 107, I think. And the very next play, the Thunder, I talked to Mark uh, Digno after the game. I was in his presser. And they said they went to go and use Shea as a screener because they thought, you have to respect that action and because Shea is somebody who, you know, he gets a lot of attention. So if you use him as a screener, technically you can gum things up for a defense and make things complicated. That did happen. And eventually so that the Raptors had to trail Lou Dort into the paint off of a cut. Shea popped out, got the ball, 
Champagny was slated to switch on to him if the Muscala Shea pick and roll didn't uh, went as planned. Champagny would have popped out, would have guarded him on the final play. But as it turns out, Shea wanted Scotty Barnes, who he was beating very often throughout this game. He rejected the screen. Scotty had jumped out way too far. Shea immediately had a driving lane and one that he liked. He got into the middle of the paint. Everybody on the Raptors converged, basically. And Shea, after the game, said he was recognizing box and one coverage so that he started to look to just converge guys and not even shoot himself. And as it turns out, you know, Mike Muscala gets the pass. He hits a three, and the Thunder go up 110 to 109. And yeah, so Fred gets a nice one the next possession. And Darius Baisley apparently gets a little finger on it. Are you taking listener questions mid-podcast? Would you like, do you have a question? Did anyone, did anyone ask Nurse about the coverage on that last Shea possession? I wasn't in the Nurse presser. Uh, I went to talk to Shay and Mark and Lou. That's a 47-minute a game coverage, not a up-to coverage is what I, I thought of that one. Good point. It was kind of disappointing. Yeah, that was a little weird. Anyway, I was just wondering if anyone had asked about it because I missed plus two. Oh, I not that I can check the Google Doc. Perhaps you have I. To that? Yeah. Who 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 gave you access to that? Pretty sure Michael Grange walked up to me, shook my hand, and said, "You made it, kid." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, so Fred gets an isolation. And uh, because they, they got the switch they wanted, they got Lou Dort off of Fred. So he had Shea. And as talented and wonderful as Shea is, he's not, he's definitely not notorious for defense. And he did play pretty decent defense on Fred, actually. Fred, like that sidestep to his left, he would have had to make a circus shot. Darius Baisley came way out to contest it anyway. Seemed to have gotten a hand on it. The ball went up. Champagny, you know, he leapt in air and he ended up tapping it in. I have a video of it on my phone where you can hear me go, oh, like, wow. Um, I was watching the, the game with Katie Heindel and Louis Sassman. We were all very jazzed, excited, only to learn that uh, the basket had been taken back. So that was a little bit disappointing. Obviously, we were walking down to go to the scrums and everything. And while that was happening, it went from being a winning game to a losing game and Justin Champagne within milliseconds. So I thought it was interesting that Champagne was milliseconds away from either getting the tip, right? Getting the tip that wins it. Or perhaps if Shea hadn't rejected that Muscala screen and had actually taken it, Champagne pops out and he gets maybe another chance to uh, be the hero, get a stop on that possession, right? They're up to something like that. But as it turns out, uh, it was the worst case scenario for the Raptors, a three for the Thunder and uh, yeah, nothing for the Raptors. And Shea had just talked about being like calm and level headed and making the right reads in those situations and had cited that he thought, you know, the team that is level headed in those types of situations is the one that most often wins. And Shea is a cool customer. I tell you what, I mean, the Raptors, this is my piece that if you read stuff at Raptors Republic or read stuff from me, I hope you enjoy, but Guarding Shea, it puts you in like an absolute quandary. And the Raptors were very confused and vexed all game. It was an interesting thing to think about prior to this game because uh, Nick Nurse in the pregame scrum kind of bristled at a question where somebody highlighted, you know, oh, is, uh, you know, are the there's not much shooting talent on the Thunder. And Nick said he disagreed. And 
you know, as it turns out, I think the the Thunder shot 17 of 40 or 17, yeah, 17 of 40 for 42%, pretty high volume. And maybe that was Nurse kind of acknowledging in his own way that, you know, Shea is going to get into the teeth and the Raptors do rotate a lot. They do pinch in a lot. I mean, as I said earlier, Shea was getting, like, a, it'll be in the piece, but three plays and there's, you know, the accumulation is 14 defenders for the Raptors over three plays, 14 of a possible 15 enter the paint because of what he's doing there. So it was always going to be that the Raptors were going to be playing from behind against Shea Gilgis-Alexander because they can't just stonewall him. In fact, I haven't seen anybody do that to him. So it's more so about who are your help defenders and how well equipped are they to put him in difficult positions and how good is the primary at kind of trailing and contesting from that position. On a lot of his missed shots, you see guys like Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet when they got a switch coming back into it. I think he missed when Chris Boucher was on him as well, just the layup. But a lot of, and and some three-pointers, but three-pointers obviously are not as high percentage a shot as a Shea Gilgis-Alexander layup, especially he got to the line 12 times in this game. Well, I guess six times, but yeah. He, he, was, he was terrible to deal with. And the Raptors, they had virtually no answer. There was a little bit of, you know, variate. What would the term be? Yeah, variation as far as his shooting in the first half. He got pretty good looks. He was getting downhill. He missed a couple layups he usually makes. He missed all of his threes. And then in the second half, that, that third quarter, he went for 16 points. And uh, he was 8 for 8 from the line in that one. He put a lot of pressure on the Raptors' defense, just getting downhill pretty much whenever he wanted. And Champagny was the guy who made it possible. As far as the the offense, I think the biggest standouts are Gary Trent Jr. and Pascal Siakam. Of course, Fred just... There's some passes he made in this game that he wouldn't have made last year, and he continues to be, I think, a an improved, significantly improved playmaker from last year. And honestly, his he was the reason the Raptors were close late, but he was also, he did not contribute to keeping them in the game, particularly in that third quarter. But he hit a, a flurry of threes late and was just on a heater. And that was awesome to see. Like, it, the crowd was going absolutely nuts. But for most of the game, he could not hit from anywhere virtually. I think three of his six made shots came in the last, like, three minutes, which makes for exciting basketball, but it also made for... The Raptors really, really dependent on other players trying to create, trying to score, and Delano Banton putting up zero, Svima Hayluk putting up zero, you know, Isak Bonga, he had a three off of an excellent drive by Yuta Watanabe, for the record. And uh, Yuta Watanabe only getting four points, one of four from the four, you know, one of four from downtown. And it's just Scotty Barnes, Pascal, Gary Trent, they all, they all went above their season averages in this game. And while Scotty's was categorized by less offensive brilliance than Gary or Pascal, which, you know, by rights, it should be. He's a less talented offensive player. He's a rookie. He's also much younger, especially than Pascal, right? And so Scotty, on some of his buckets, he just wheeled his way into it. Like the, the one he went straight to the bucket, threw up a prayer, bounced off, and he had two hands. Like he was trying to block a volleyball at the net and just barely got his fingertips on it, waved them both, and the ball ended up rolling straight in. Like, it was, you know, he he has it in his bag that he can go and just force, just wheel the basketball into the bucket at times. Um, never Like, never late in the game. We haven't seen him, like, win a game like that. But, you know, 
third possession of the third quarter. Scotty really wants a bucket. There's there's every chance he might be able to do that once or twice in a game. It's certainly not that he can do it whenever he pleases, but he can get to places on the court and does so all the time. And But Pascal Siakam, I mean, Mark, uh, the OKC coach in the presser afterwards, was talking about, I would say, in like a disappointed tone. And he was also remarking upon like, yeah, like Pascal hit a lot of tough shots over Baisley. And Pascal did. He started out four for four, and he was hitting a ton of shots. He was going to the mid-range at the same types of mid-range shots he was hitting against the Wizards, getting to his spots. And then as the game continued on, the offense has this... Well, Fred and Co. I think have this thing where sometimes they forget that Pascal is like a very, very talented offensive player, and he'll get frozen out of the offense. And there's no maliciousness. Like, there's no malice of forethought applied to it. It's just sometimes Pascal gets frozen out of the offense. And that happened. Like, that definitely happened. And that's also a little bit of Pascal's fault, right? Because Pascal, you have it going it, you have to keep the pedal on. And in the third quarter, he wasn't able to do that. To his credit, though, the fourth quarter, I think Pascal was phenomenal. I think he had seven points, three assists, which that for a fine, for a frame, like for a quarter, seven points, three assists is great. That's phenomenal. And he really helped break down the defense, draw a lot of attention. He hit his open three, which is basically all I've been asking for in these games, right? It's like, Pascal, you're open at the end of the game from three. Teams are going to do this. You can be as dominant as you want in the rest of the game, and he has been so good. He really is just taking it to defenses and good for him as a playmaker, as a scorer, and he really helped on the glass tonight, 11 boards. Like, Pascal was really, really good, and he really brought it home in the fourth quarter to the best of his ability. He didn't get the ball, but he was a huge part of what brought them there defensively, and offensively, he didn't get the ball at the end of the game. They gave it to Fred. I mean, Fred had scored nine points in like three minutes, right? So hot hand. They probably thought that Shea was going to, or whoever they got, they got the switch on, was going to sit heavy on that jumper. And Fred could have like a hesitation or a drop dribble. And he could get downhill, maybe get to the free throw line or pass out to somebody for a wide open shot. Pascal wasn't the guy who got it. That's fine, giving Fred, the giving the hot hand the look. But in the third quarter... Pascal obviously needs to know a little bit, like, I need to go demand the ball. I need to get a pick-and-roll possession here or a mid-post possession here or all this other kind of stuff. I can't just be greasing the wheels for other guys. And Fred and anybody else who is on ball has to acknowledge, like, I have to involve this guy more because he is a big. And Pascal Siakam, for as talented as he is, Anthony Davis, for as talented as he, as he is, neither are guards. So both get frozen out of the offense. Bigs, besides like Jokic, always get frozen out of the offense. Like Embiid and Jokic are the only ones who are like they decide when they get the ball. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns can get frozen out of an offense. Bigs, this just happens to him. And Pascal, I the, the team went too long without appealing to his exceptional offensive talent, I would say, especially since the Thunder didn't have much recourse to guard him. I mean, he's 10 of 15 tonight, 2 of 2 from downtown. He missed two free throws. That hurt, but he was a plus 8. You felt it every time he was on the floor defensively and offensively. He was awesome for the Raptors. This is one of the games where it would be, outside of being like, ah, Pascal would have liked you to really put, like, hit the gas in that third quarter and try and help the Raptors. 
through that frame where they it was 33 to 12, I believe that they lost that that quarter by and that's the only complaint. But as far as the things he actually did, he was he was phenomenal. And then Gary Trent Jr. just, I think, what was he, like around 3 of 13 last game or something terrible, 3 of 16? And I said, like, yeah, this is cool. This is totally fine because guess what? It can swing the other way very quickly. I just need him to hit his open threes. And he went 4 of 8 from downtown. And not only that, but he punched in six shots inside the arc. Pretty darn good. That means he was six of nine inside the arc. So good for you, Gary. The shot making was on one tonight. He's still, the gambling defensively is like, it's still there. He's still getting steals, but he's starting to pay more often. Like he's starting to miss a little bit more often. So something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. But yeah, uh, Chris Boucher started this game because Precious Achua, OG Ananobi, and Ken Birch all out. So you know, the, the front court basically, that's why Isak Bonga played basically 14 minutes because the, the Raptors are really thin at the front court. But Chris Boucher, 11 points, seven boards, two blocks. What He was great. I saw a lot of people on Twitter were, you know, like, eh, they were like, oh no, this is going to be terrible. He was awesome. He was really, really good filling the lanes and finding space offensively. He finished four of nine which is not super sterling for like the five, but he was 0 of 2 for three. And I really liked how he moved offensively. And he had a few great contests on on Shea. If if you went and looked at all the shots, that he would at least have two, that he was the primary defender and Shea missed shots. And, you know, those long arms in the first quarter where, you know, Boucher had the bulk of his minutes, well, not the bulk, but a large amount of his minutes uh, I thought that his defense was pretty damn good. And some of that is like, yeah, the uh, the Thunder didn't get unstuck and he was in really good positions because guys were, they had to pick up their dribble earlier. So Boucher, there's less uh, space to negotiate. He can just have a hard rotation, that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they put a lot of guys in really tough positions in that first quarter. And sometimes Shea was just making these savant-like passes. Like he was nutmegging guys while hanging in the air and trying to read a moving defense. That's absurd. That's so dumb. I can't believe Shea can make those passes. But Boucher, he only played 22 minutes in this one. They decided to go with Champagne. They decided, hey, we're going to do without Chris. I thought, I mean, you can't, you can't argue with it. Because Champagne was a plus 10. He played 12 minutes. He played awesome defense on Shea. I just, whether it was in the third quarter or to start the fourth, because basically all the positive came right at the end of that fourth quarter. I would have liked more Boucher in the third or maybe in the fourth. But I guess, you know, going with smart lineup, they just want to move away from that. But uh, Boucher was good. Boucher was good. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. Boucher had a good game, and he didn't get the minutes that maybe I think he deserved in this one. So something of note. Anyway, yeah, and so the bench, did they provide that much? No. The Raptors done in largely by a Scotty plus bench lineup and then a Scotty plus Fred plus bench lineup, and they were put in a position where they did not score at all in the third quarter. And mind you, even when it was the starters early on, they weren't doing very well. They were struggling too. It's just not to the same degree. And yeah, like I think it was a 23 to 5 run to finish the third quarter. 
And that's that's really hard to do against an NBA team. And the Thunder, they sustained the run, and they kept it going. The Raptors kept missing threes, and the Thunder, they just relied on Shea to be the engine. And that's the quarter where they stole the game. It wasn't the fourth quarter. It wasn't that... It wasn't that last possession where Shea got downhill and then pump fake, drew a bunch of guys, and then found Mike Muscala. That wasn't where they lost the game. It was in the third quarter when they got shellacked by 21 points. It's abysmal. It's terrible. Not not something you like to see. It's, yeah, tough. Anyway, the Raptors lose this one, man. Tough to see. Uh, Reggie Evans Award, Pascal Siakam. Just incredible court coverage defensively in this game. No qualms about it whatsoever. He did actually, he did have one missed rotation that was exacerbated because he then screwed up the X out that followed afterwards. And it just created like a cluster of a play. I do believe they missed the shot on it, but it was just like he, his man back cut him and he realized a little bit too late. And I think Fred covered and Pascal didn't realize that Fred covered. And then Pascal realized he had to cover Fred's guy. And that all led to, like, uh, confusion and a wide-open shot. I can't remember if they made it or not, though. It's been... It's 5.30 in the morning. Uh, so it's been many hours since the game. But, yeah. Uh, so one gaff for Pascal. But otherwise, I mean, you know, grabbing boards, really providing... Allowing them to close out defensive possessions, right? Very important, as it turns out. And just an absolute gem of a game. He was awesome in this one. And his his court coverage was really, really good. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, top quick reaction comment is from Wildling number one. D-plus for Fred for a 19-point, 8-rebound, 9-assist game. That's just effed. Shaking my head. End quote. Uh, yeah. I guess who who wrote it? Who did the... Uh, who did the QR? Oh, it was Zarrar. Zarrar, he's he likes a little punch. You know, he he likes a hot take or so. And Fred, Fred, was he like that bad? Like a D plus? I don't think Fred was a D plus because everybody is slow. You know, not everybody has the full game. Like the full 48 minutes is something that is very rarely ever achieved, right? It is every once in a while a player can do it, but the full 48 is like, yeah. And Fred, I think, was mostly just missing shots. Should he have been taking some of those shots? I think is a fair question, and that's probably why Zarrar was like, yeah, this is a D-plus game because he was really bad. But uh, D-plus is definitely harsh for the performance that Fred had. But uh, as I've said many times before, the uh, <laughs> the grades are just cannon fodder. Like, Wilding, I, this is just for you to be upset about. And hopefully, you know, you feel like some justice in me agreeing with you that, like, yeah, D-plus is definitely low. I disagree with a D-plus. I'd probably go, like, a, a B-minus, probably, because I think Fred's stats this game were better than his actual performance. But, you know, couched into that is that, any Fred performance usually has all the trappings of like very good things in it that don't show up on the stat sheet. So is it graded on a curve? Is it like, uh, you know, it's a, a D plus game for Fred, not a D plus game. I think so. But, uh, you know, them's the breaks. Gary Trent had the same uh, score as Pascal. 
You know, they're both A's. Utah got a C plus. Champagne had an A minus. I mean, what what more could have Champagne done, right, in his time? But yeah, it's grades are hard. You watch a whole game, right? 48 minutes where there's infinite, not infinite, but like an astounding amount of actions that are run on ball, off ball. And then you try and say, I'm just going to grade everybody. It's a, it's an absurd thing to do, but it's really fun. And people like when they agree with a grade or they like the, you know, it's cathartic to disagree with a grade and have other people say, hell yeah, I disagree too. So, you know, Zarrar is just doing, he's producing the content, man. But yeah, uh, D plus is low. I uh, I wouldn't have given a D plus probably. So, Wildling, thanks for writing in. And this might be the first time I can ever say since it's five thirty in Toronto right now that uh, I don't even have to think about you getting into this in the morning or at night. You're just getting into this in the morning because it didn't come out at night. So, <sighs> thanks for tuning in. You got into this in the morning. Have a blessed day and goodbye.